We speak often of the battles waging in culture today against scriptural truths, uh, but one area or battle that we have not discussed much is the battle against biblical womanhood, what it means to be a woman. And this battle has been going uh, ongoing really since the fall in Genesis 3. It's one of the results of the fall. And through each successive age and generation, this battle has morphed and changed and taken on different looks. And in America, the battle has taken on really two distinct fronts, which as you look at the two fronts, they really seem almost diametrically opposed to one another, but they are working together, allies, in seeking to destroy the biblical view of womanhood. Uh, one seeks to define women through their beauty and appearance and really to sexualize women. Uh, the other seeks to redefine women's roles under the guise of liberation. And these fronts have unwittingly infiltrated the church. They've created conflict and frustration. Uh, but this is not new. Timothy faced the same battle in the first century church there in Ephesus. And in our text today, Paul addresses these two fronts and presents God's expectations for women in the church. Now, this text today is the most discussed passage in all of the pastoral epistles. A couple of the commentaries that I reference in my study had over 50 pages of material on this small section of Scripture. It is a very discussed section of Scripture. And as you read books and commentaries on this text, you'll discover that interpretations of this section range from seeing Paul as a liberator and champion of women's rights to dismissing Paul as wrong and irrelevant in today's culture. Uh, George Bernard Shaw, the author and political activist of the early 1900s went so far as to call Paul the eternal enemy of women because of this text. Now, admittedly, this text is going to take us two weeks to work through. There is a lot here. It is one of the most challenging texts, possibly in all of scripture, to interpret and to apply. However, as we work through it and we begin to break it down and look at the context, I believe that the point Paul is making will be very evident and that when we're done, you'll have a firm grasp on God's desire for Christian women in the church. So let's read our text this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 9 through the end of the chapter. Paul writes, Likewise also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and golds or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. There's a lot in this text that seems odd, hard to interpret, definitely out of step with culture today. 
So what is Paul telling us? Well, in this text, Paul presents God's two expectations for Christian women. He presents for us what God expects regarding women's appearance in the church and what God expects regarding women's role in the church. Neither of these expectations are popular today. In fact, they are very unpopular today. And as a result, both are desperately needed today. The first expectation regarding women in the church addresses the woman's appearance in the church. In all ages, in every generation, what a woman wears has been a source of conversation and controversy. God created women to reflect his beauty. And we are thankful for that because as men, we don't do it very well. Women do. They reflect God's beauty. They're described as the fairer of the sexes. And so their appearance from the day of creation became a part of their very person. What they look like matters. Beauty and and womanhood are intrinsically tied together. So it's no surprise that what they wear matters. In every culture and in every age, debates have been waged regarding what Christian women should wear. Because people like rules, some environments have placed intense rules on what women should wear. In some subcultures, women must always wear dresses, uh, preferably ones that look like she made them herself. And always wear some sort of bonnet, hat, or head covering. In other subcultures, like the one I served in in Georgia, uh, women should always wear almost an Easter dress every Sunday. They have to dress amazingly. In subcultures like the one I grew up in, uh, the knee was the standard. It was the mark of holiness. If the attire did not cover the knee, it was wrong. However, although pants covered the knee, they were also wrong. But all these subcultures with these rules miss the point of what God expects of women in the attire. And these subcultures inevitably lead to legalism and judgmentalism on external issues. Well, Timothy found himself in a similar situation in the church at Ephesus. A conflict raged in the church regarding what Christian women should wear. And so Paul informs us of God's expectation regarding a Christian woman's appearance. Verse 9, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So Paul begins by stating that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. Now we need to note at the outset that while this word, apparel, does refer to clothing, It does not only refer to clothing. It goes well beyond simple attire. It it could be understood in a wider sense as meaning a person's demeanor, their deportment, um, the inner person, who they really are. 
So Paul here is addressing how women are to adorn themselves in their dress and as a person. Paul contrasts respectable appearance with disrespectful appearance. Let's begin with this idea of respectful appearance. He covers this in verse 9 and then verse 10. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. And then in verse 10, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good work. So Paul informs us what respectable apparel, respectable appearance looks like. This discussion is always fraught with challenging and tension uh, because as we discuss respectable appearance, there are definite elements that are culturally defined. Respectability varies from culture to culture. Every culture has cultural norms for attire. But Paul is very helpful here in that he gives us timeless truths that cross over cultures. He informs us of the elements of respectable attire. Even that word respectable, it means well-ordered, moderate, or appropriate. And I want to hone in on that word appropriate. Because it's going to come up over and over in our conversation. Often we think of respectable attire only in the realms of sexuality. But there's a multitude of clothing options which are not sexually alluring, but are disrespectful because they are not appropriate to the situation. Paul gives us three timeless characteristics of respectable or appropriate appearance. The first is modesty. He says, with modesty. This this word modesty means not drawing undue attention to yourself. Not drawing undue attention to yourself. This word occurs in the New Testament in only one other place. As a verb in Hebrews 12, 28, describing acceptable worship to God. There it is translated as reverence. It describes giving proper worship to God, which points the attention to God and not to yourself. So often we think of this word modesty only in terms of sexual overtones. And that is applicable. That does indeed apply. But we are wrong to stop there and hold the meaning only to that context. Modesty indicates attire that is appropriate for a specific person or situation in a specific context. Here's what this means. You ought to dress in such a way that you do not draw undue attention to yourself. This would include lack of clothing, but it would also include the appropriateness of your clothing to the situation in which you are in. Dressing like a lady of the night does indeed draw undue sinful attention to yourself. But it is important in our context to note that there are other forms of inappropriate dress which also draw undue attention to ourselves. Let me give an example. Growing up at the foot of the Rocky Mountains, I had numerous opportunities to ski. It was cheaper when I was younger, so it was something we loved to do. And there were many times... 
As I made my way down the mountain in which my attention was drawn to a woman on the slope, but not because she was dressed in sexually alluring outfits, but because she was actually skiing down the slope in a dress. It was attire that was not appropriate to the action being done. And while I'm sure that they were doing this out of an effort to be modest, they were actually immodest because they were drawing undue attention to themselves through the clothing that was inappropriate to the situation. And as we'll see in a little bit, it appears that the women in the church at Ephesus were dressing immodestly to the point that it was causing disruption. But we'll see in the description of their clothing, Paul does not dress address the possible sexual nature of their clothing, but the fact that they were arriving in clothing that was opulent and extravagant. They were drawing undue attention to themselves through their gaudy appearance. So when Paul speaks of modesty in apparel, don't just simply pigeonhole the word to sexually alluring clothing, although it does mean that, that's included in it. He's stating that women are to wear clothing that is appropriate, in line with the activity, and in good taste. It is to be modest, not drawing undue attention to themselves. Second, it is to be with self-control. It demonstrates self-control or self-mastery. Now, some translations translate this word as moderation, demonstrating that this word has the basic meaning of restraint, showing good judgment in what you wear. One man said it this way, they must dress in a sensible manner. They must not try to show off to be all the rage, wearing flashy apparel so as to make others jealous of them. This word further uh, furthers the point I've been trying to make. That because, just because your skin is covered, don't assume that means you're modest or appropriate. Appropriate clothing demonstrates self-control. Paul is encouraging conservatism in dress. The ability to refrain from drawing everyone's attention to you. Now this goes against everything in our culture. In the romantic movies, in the books, there's inevitably a scene where the heroine arrives at the party or the ball, and the moment she enters the room, every eye is drawn to her because of her stunning beauty or her dress. And this is presented as a wonderful and a desirable thing. And so the fashion industry pushes this idea and encourages a lack of self-control in attire so that everyone will notice you. But Paul informs us that a Christian woman should dress and demonstrate self-control. That respectable appearance means you dress with decency and propriety. In other words, you're not to flaunt your wealth or your beauty. Now, this does require some nuance. Paul is not informing us that women should somehow hide their beauty or make themselves incredibly plain. In 1 Corinthians 11.15, Paul informs us that a woman's glory is her hair, illustrating that women should and ought to take care of their hair. This phrase contains the idea of beauty. In Proverbs 31, the godly woman 
is, informs us that the godly woman clothes herself in fine linen and purple. Now, in the context, the cultural context there, God is informing us that the godly woman clothes herself in such a way that it demonstrates her feminine beauty. God created women to declare his beauty. And so Paul is not saying that women should hide their beauty and deny the way God created them. But he is saying, don't flaunt your beauty or your wealth. You ought to dress in good taste, in a way that people recognize that you are lovely because God created you that way, not to turn heads. Third, Paul informs us that respectable appearance involves good works. Note verse 10. But with what is proper for women who profess godliness? With good works. This is one of the most interesting twists to this passage. In verse 9, which we'll cover in a moment, Paul informs us what disrespectful appearance looks like. And then in verse 10, he contrasts this. But he doesn't contrast it with clothing choices. Instead, he contrasts it with good works. Paul informs us what appearance is proper or suitable for women who proclaim or lay claim to a reverence to God. What is this appearance? Ensuring dresses and shorts come to the knee. Ensuring that every inch of skin is covered. Perhaps looking as though you stepped out of the 1890s. No. Paul states that this appearance, this modest apparel, is good works. Why would Paul say that? That seems very out of touch with everything else he's been saying in this passage. He's been talking about what a woman looks like, and now he switches it to good works. Well, Paul is instructing us in a very important principle. You see, a woman's proper appearance does not lie simply in what she puts on herself, but in the loving service she performs. It's the principle that our outside will conform to our inside. What you are inside will be what comes out. When a woman loves God and develops a passionate relationship with him, her appearance will reflect that. And she'll demonstrate it in loving service for God. Through a desire to bring glory to God in everything that she does, her attire will be appropriate to the situation so that she draws attention to God and not undue attention to herself. This is also an important principle to understand and emphasize because acceptable standards of modesty will change with time and age and generation and place. But if the women will cultivate a fear of God rather than vanity, they'll be appropriate no matter the standard of acceptable modesty. As a youth pastor, I used to speak to our young ladies about developing their heart for God because dress styles change at an alarming rate. With each passing decade, with each passing year, styles move. So addressing only the specific styles would be a never-ending process. However, if they're equipped with the passionate relationship with God, 
the Holy Spirit will guide them in the appropriate attire and they'll demonstrate good works. Fashions come and go. Styles change with the times. If you don't believe this, go look at your high school yearbook. But these three timeless truths will always lead the Christian woman to demonstrate her beauty in a Christ-honoring way. Dress appropriate, dress with self-control, and focus on your walk with God. Having given us these three timeless truths of respectable appearance, Paul then moves to the problem of disrespectful appearance. The end of verse 9. Not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire. Again, it's interesting that Paul does not move to sexually suggestive appearance but rather to ostentatious appearance as he addresses disrespectful appearance in the church. Because disrespectful appearance is not limited to that which is sexually suggestive, but it also includes the ostentatious. So Paul describes here a woman who is over the top in her dress. He says, not with braided hair. Now, that seems odd. Paul is not speaking simply of braided hair as if somehow weaving your hair is disrespectful. In fact, braided hair, as with today, was a common style of the day. It alone would not have been inappropriate. But he adds with it gold or pearls. This hair was braided in an immaculate hairstyle filled with all kinds of gold and pearls woven into it. It pictures a woman with this, with this opulent hairdo covered in expensive jewelry on her wrists and expensive rings on her fingers and dressed in extravagant, expensive clothing. Now, even today, as we read this idea of costly attire, loses a little bit of its message in our modern culture. Let me tell you about the first century. The expensive dresses worn by wealthy women in the Roman Empire could cost up to 7000 Denarii. Now, Pliny the Elder, a first century Roman historian, described the dress of Lillian Paulina, the wife of the Emperor Caligula. This dress was worth several hundred thousands of dollars by today's standards. Dresses of the common women would cost as much as 500 to 800 denarii. Now, let's put that in today's vernacular. The, the, the daily wage, the average daily wage of a common laborer was one denarii. So the, even just the average dress of the common woman, 500 to 800 denarii, meant a year and a half's worth of income. As a result, because of this extreme expense, most women probably only owned a couple of dresses like this in their entire lifetime. So for a woman to enter the worship service wearing one of these expensive dresses would shift the focus of attention away from worship to God to her extravagant wealth. And it would stir up envy on the part of the other women and perhaps even their husbands. And this description of braids with gold or pearls or expensive clothing informs us that the apostle is thinking of the sin of extravagance in outward adornment. The women in these passages doubtless were seeking to draw attention to their beauty and their wealth. Their cost of clothing, their ornate jewelry, their opulent hairstyles suggest lush luxuries that only wealthy people could afford. And at best, these styles demonstrate pride and self-centeredness. 
Now, Paul is not speaking here against a reasonable or, or here's our word again, appropriate style of hairdressing or wearing jewelry or nice dresses, but against over-the-top attire designed to draw undue attention to yourself and your perceived status. That is inappropriate for Christian women, and it is particularly inappropriate for women in the church as it would distract from the main purpose of worship. This is why Paul turns to good works in verse 10. The woman's appearance, that which gives her attractiveness, is not to be expensive, extravagant, or sexually alluring clothing, but exhibitions of Christian character. We talked about this a few years ago when we were working through 1 Peter. Peter talks about it in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. He says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And in that text, Peter reminds us that true beauty is not external. Just like Paul, Peter refers to three things, the braiding of the hair, the wearing of gold jewelry, the putting on of clothes. And he's not stating that women should never braid their hair or wear gold jewelry, because then we'd have to continue that on and apply it saying they shouldn't put on clothes, which is obviously absurd. What is he saying? He's saying a godly woman will avoid excessive, over-the-top clothes, an excessive decoration of her person with gold and jewels. Roman women were captivated, just like today, by the latest fashions and competed with one another in their dress and in their hairdos. It was not unusual for the women to have elaborate hairdos studded with gold and silver combs and jewels put into it. They wore elaborate and expensive garments, all for the purpose of impressing one another. And Peter, like Paul, is making the, more, uh, the point that it is not outward adornments. That's not what counts in the sight of God. God desires your hearts. I'm not stating that any of these things, braided hair or jewelry or nice dresses, are forbidden, but that they should not be your source of beauty. One man said, notably, Peter turns aside here from the defective standards of the world, both then and now, where female adornment is socially acceptable, even fashionable. He follows a biblical precedent in condemning vanity and luxurious living. Had he lived today, he might well have commented on people who spend a vast sum on clothes instead of giving to the poor who do not even have food. So culture tells us that women and girls, that their attractiveness is directly related to the cost of their clothes or their fashionable styles, their sexual appearance. And so they must dress with the right clothes and, and weigh the right amount and carry themselves in such a way as to draw attention to herself. But the Word of God states the exact opposite. A woman's attractiveness is not to be based on the outward. Instead, Peter tells us that true beauty is internal. He says, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is very precious. He says, let it be the hidden person of your heart, a gentle 
and quiet spirit. The word gentle is an interesting word. It means controlled strength, humility. It means not insisting on your own rights or, or being pushy, not assertive, not demanding your own way. It was an amiable friendliness contrasted with roughness or a bad temper or brusqueness. In a biblical perspective, the term indicates a person who does not attack back, waits on God to judge in the end, knowing that God will control things. And a quiet spirit, it means a restful, peaceful spirit, an inner calm. Peter calls this inward beauty imperishable. It's been translated several different ways. The King James translated as not corruptible ornament. The NIV translated as unfading beauty. The New American Standard translates it as imperishable quality. But the sense is the same roughly in all of them. The beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit will last for eternity in contrast to the fleeting beauty of jewelry and clothing. So why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, we do not lose heart. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inward self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. In other words, what a person is on the inside does not remain hidden. But it demonstrates itself in the way the woman behaves in everyday life. And as with our text in 1 Timothy, this text does not prohibit women from styling their hair or wearing jewelry or lovely clothing. We see the bride in Song of Solomon was covered, was beautifully adorned. Song of Solomon 110, 4.11, 7.1. The point is that this was not to be the preoccupation, the main concern or the main focus of a woman's attractiveness. And so... When considering what you wear in each situation, dear sister, you need to examine your motives and your goals for the way that you dress. One man gave a great list of questions. Is your intent to show the grace and beauty of womanhood? Is it to show your love and devotion to your husband and his goodness to you? Is it to reveal a humble heart devoted to worshiping God? Or... Is it to call attention to yourself and to flaunt your wealth or your beauty or worse, to attempt to allure men sexually? A woman who focuses on worshiping God will consider carefully how she is dressed because her heart will dictate her wardrobe and her appearance. Do not draw undue attention to yourself through inappropriate dress, either sexually inappropriate, culturally inappropriate, or situationally inappropriate dress, or through needlessly extravagant or needlessly dowdy dress, looking needlessly over the top or needlessly plain. Ask God what your attire says about him. What does what you wear say about your God? Well, having addressed a woman's appearance in the church, Paul moves to the second expectation regarding women in the church, an even more controversial subject, the role of women in the church. And he uses an unusual illustration from Genesis 3. 
an unusual solution, salvation through childbearing. What in the world is he talking about, this women's role in the church? We'll talk about that next week. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to look at your word again. Lord, we thank you that you have not left us without instruction, even in these controversial and highly toxic areas. Help us to respond with humility and grace to one another, to love one another, not to be judgmental or legalistic, but to care about our walk with you above all things. Lord, I thank you for the ladies in this church who have regularly demonstrated obedience to this principle, who love you and are passionate about you, who dress and carry themselves in an appropriate way. Lord, I ask that you will honor them for that, that you'll bless them greatly for the way that they make you look. Thank you for them. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.